Chapter Twenty, Section Two, of J. B. Bury's *The Student's Roman Empire*, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. *The Student's Roman Empire*, Part Two, by John Bagnall Bury. Chapter Twenty. Rebellions in Germany and Judea. Section 2 Second Stage of the Revolt The Imperium Galliarum On the news of the death of Vitellius, the mask of Civilis was finally thrown off, and he acknowledged that he was fighting against the Roman people. The destruction of the capital by fire produced a profound impression upon the superstitious minds of the Gauls, who believed that it betokened the approaching end of the Roman Empire. The remnant of the Druids interpreted it as a sign of heavenly wrath, and prophesied that the nations north of the Alps were soon to become the lords of the world. A conspiracy had been organized by Julius Classicus, a distinguished nobleman of the Treveri, and prefect of a squadron of cavalry which had fought under Valens against Otho. He renewed the design of forming a Gallic kingdom, which had been tried in vain by Sacrovir, and perhaps contemplated more recently by Vindex. His chief associates were his countrymen, Julius Tutor, and Julius Sabinus, who pretended to be descended from a bastard of Julius Caesar. The conspirators met in Colonia, and maintained secret communications with Civilis. Their first object was to get rid of Vocula, and they accomplished it by a similar deceit to that which Arminius practised on Varus. They induced Vocula to leave Moguntiacum, and descend the Rhine to relieve Vetera, which was hard-pressed. On the march from Novasum to Vetera, the troops of Classicus and Tutor rode forward on the pretext of reconnoitring, and entrenched themselves at a distance. Vocula was unable to persuade them to return, and could not enforce obedience. He was compelled to fall back on Novasium, the Gauls encamped at a distance of two miles. Vetera could not hold out much longer, and when it fell, the whole army of the Germans would be free to attack Novasium. Under these circumstances, the legions determined to desert the cause of Rome and declare for the Imperium Galliarum, which was being proclaimed by Classicus. Vocula appealed in vain to their better feelings, and when he found they were determined to join the standards of Classicus and Civilis, he decided that nothing was left for himself but to die. Before he had time to make arrangements for a voluntary death, he was slain by an emissary of Classicus, a legionary soldier who had deserted. The other legati, Gallus and Numisius, were thrown in chains. Then Classicus, assuming the insignia of a Roman emperor, entered the camp of Novasium. Bold though he was, he found no words to express or defend his assumption of such a dignity. He merely read out the oath of allegiance. The Roman soldiers swore fidelity to the empire of the Gauls. The dream of Sacrovir and Vindex was at last accomplished, if only for a moment. Classicus and Tutor divided between them the work of reducing the two Rhine provinces under the new empire which was thus inaugurated. Tutor undertook to secure the adhesion of the fourth and twenty-second legions at Moguntiacum. The officers were slain, and the soldiers took the same oath as their comrades at Novasium. Classicus himself proceeded to Vetera, where the wretched garrison, reduced to the last extremities of hunger, were supporting life on the herbs that grew among the stones. 
they sent envoys to the Batavian chief, asking to be permitted to leave the place alive, and their prayers were granted when they took the oath of loyalty to the new empire. But five miles from Vetera they were treacherously attacked by the escort of Germans whom Civilis had ordered to accompany them, and many were slain. Vetera was dismantled and burned, and in like manner all the other winter stations of the legions, including Bonna and Novasium, were destroyed except Roguntiacum and Vindonissa. The latter place was at such a distance that it was quite unaffected by the rebellion. The 16th legion and the auxiliaries, which had surrendered at Novasium and the 1st legion from Bonna, were commanded to repair to Augusta Trevororum, which Classicus and Tutor doubtless intended to make the capital of the new empire, within a given time. On their march thither they had to endure the mocking of the inhabitants through whose country they passed, and one squadron of cavalry, the Aela Picentina, unable to endure the shame of the position, left the procession and went to Moguntiacum. On their way they fell in with the murderer of Vocula, and dealt with him as he deserved. Munius Lupercus, who had commanded the garrison of Vetera during the long blockade, was sent among other gifts to Veleda, a German prophetess who played a part in this rebellion, and exercised great influence over her countrymen. This maiden belonged to the tribe of the Bructeri, and lived remote from the abodes of others in a solitary tower on the river Lupia. She had predicted the success of the Germans and the destruction of the legions, and the accomplishment of her prophecy confirmed her power. She was soon called upon to exert it for the purpose of hindering her countrymen from abusing their victory. The Ubii had been faithful to Rome throughout the rebellion, but when the legions yielded, nothing was left for them but to yield too. The question was then agitated by the Germans whether they should destroy Colonia or leave it standing. Jealousy of the privileged position of the Ubii and desire of plunder prompted the trans-renamed tribes to cancel its destruction, but Civilis judged that clemency would be the better policy. The Tegteri set an embassy to the colony, and demanded that the inhabitants should pull down their walls, slay all the Romans within their borders, and resume their German habits and institutions. But the Agrippinenses escaped from the fulfilment of these requisitions by appealing to the authority of Civilis and the prophetess Veleda. The Sunuki, who lived west of the Ubii on the Mosa, were then reduced, and the Nervii, Tungri, and Baetasii, who still maintained the cause of Rome under the leadership of Claudius Labio, a Batavian but a rival of Civilis, submitted. The new Gallic Empire had no firm foundation, and was not destined to prosper. It had sprung up by means of the Batavian rebellion, but Civilis and the Batavians, although they made common cause with Classicus in pulling down the Roman power, stood aloof from the Imperium Galliarum. The Germans had no intention of throwing off Roman for the sake of Celtic rule, but besides, the Gauls themselves were for the most part by no means favourable to the profit of the Treveri and the Lingones. Julius Sabinus cast down the bronze tables on which the treaties between Rome and the Lingones were inscribed, assumed the name of Caesar, and marched at the head of a disorderly band of his countrymen against the Sequani. But the Sequani were faithful to Rome, and beat back the spurious Caesar, who deserted in the middle of the battle, and by burning down the house to which he fled, caused it to be supposed that he had killed himself. But he really remained hidden in a subterranean retreat for no less than five years, kept alive by his wife Eponina. He was finally discovered, and put to death along with his wife, by Vespasian's orders. 
the declaration of the sequani against the gallic rebels was soon confirmed by the verdict of a common council summoned by the remi who took upon themselves the initiative in this crisis it was put to the states of gaul whether they preferred liberty or peace the treveri were represented by julius valentinus but the arguments of julius ospex a noble of the remi carried the day and a letter of the treveri was composed in the name of the gauls calling upon them to desist from war the strongest motive of the gallic states in adhering to rome was perhaps mutual jealousy the question presented itself supposing the empire of the gauls to be established what city will be the centre the other states would certainly never have submitted to be ruled from the city of the treveri or the city of the lingones it does not appear that the idea of a federal union like that of the achaean league occurred to any of the gallic patriots in the meantime mucianus and the government of vespasian were making preparations to suppress the rebels of the north both germans and gauls quintus petilius serialis was appointed to the command in lower annius gallus the general of otho in upper germany two of the victorious legions the eighth of moesia and the eleventh of dalmatia along with one of the Vitellian legions, the 21st, whose station was at Bindonissa, were chosen for the expedition, and marched northward by the Pennine, Cotian, and Grian Alps. Moreover, the 14th was summoned from Britain, and the 6th Victris and 10th Gemina from Spain. But the rebels did not realize, or at least took no steps to meet, the danger which was approaching. Civilis was engaged in pursuing his enemy Claudius Labeo, in the wilds of belgica classicus was enjoying his position as head of an empire tutor talked about occupying the alpine passes but omitted to do so he had indeed increased the forces of the treveri by the accession of the vangiones and other small tribes and some of the legionaries of moguntiacum joined his army sextilius felix the officer who had been set by the leaders of vespasian to watch raetia was the first to arrive on the scene of action with his auxiliary cohorts one cohort which he sent on in advance was routed by the forces of Tutor, but on the approach of the rest and of the twenty-first legion, which had reached Vindonissa, the legionaries deserted, and the allies of the Treveri followed the example. Tutor, with his Treverans, retreated to Bingium, and took up a position on the left bank of the Nava, Naha, having broken down on the bridge. But the cohorts of Sextilius crossed by a ford, and routed the Treveri, the legions, who had been compelled to post themselves at Augusta Treverorum on the news of this defeat, took an oath of allegiance to Vespasian, and marched to the town of the Mediomatrici, called in older days Divudorum, in later days Metis, now Metz. The leaders Tutor and Valentinus roused the Treveri again to arms, and put to death the legati Herennius and Numisius, whom they had kept prisoners. Petilius Cerealis now arrived at Moguntiacum. His contempt for the enemy and his rejection of a Gallic levy inspired his troops with confidence and confirmed the Gauls in their obedience. He united the remnant of the legions of Moguntiacum with his own army and marched in three days at the rate of nine hours a day to Rigordulum, Riol, about ten miles from Augusta Treverorum, lower down the Mosella protected on one side by the river on the other by steep hills this place had been occupied by a large band of treveri under valentinus who had entrenched himself behind ditches and stone barricades 
the troops of Cerealis boldly stormed the position, and Valentinus himself was captured. They then entered Augusta Trevorum, the soldiers burning to destroy the home of Classicus and Tutor, a city, they said, far more guilty than Cremona, which had paid so heavily for its part in the Vitellian War. But the august city, which was destined hereafter to become a capital of a Belgic province, and even a seat of Roman emperors, was spared by the decision of Cerealis. When Civilis and Classicus learned that the Romans held Augusta Trevororum, they tried to tempt the ambition of Cerealis by offering him the Imperium Galliarum. Cerealis did not deign to reply to the letter, which he sent to Rome, and the rebels prepared for decisive battle. Civilis counseled delay until they should receive reinforcements from the transrenane tribes, but Tutor urged that if they delayed, the Roman forces would be increased by the legions which had been summoned from Spain and Britain. The advice of Tutor was followed, and the forces of the insurgents unexpectedly attacked the Roman camp. Augusta Trevororum lies on the right bank of the Mosella. The Roman camp was pitched on the left bank to protect the town against the foe coming from the north. On the night of the attack, Cerealis himself happened to be sleeping in the city, and he was awakened by the news that his troops were fighting and getting the worst of it. The enemy had made a way through the camp, routed the cavalry, and occupied the bridge which connected the town with the left bank. The boldness and presence of mind of the general retrieved the fortune of the legions. Placing himself at the head of those whom the foe had driven before them into the town, he recovered the bridge and, reaching the camp, rallied his men. Everything was in favour of the enemy, and the victory which the Romans secured seemed almost miraculous. The Agrippinenses gladly returned to their allegiance to Rome. They slew the Germans in their city, and destroyed a cohort of Chalki and Frisians, which were stationed at Tolbiacum, Zulpich, by making them intoxicated and then setting on fire the house in which they slumbered. The rebels in Belgica were suppressed by the 14th Legion, which arrived from Britain. On the other hand, the Britannic fleet was defeated by the Caninifates, who were more skilful in managing ships. But this success did not hinder the suppression of the rebellion. The next defeat of Civilis took place at Vetera, where, having gathered together his forces after the defeat at Augusta Trevororum, he had taken up a strong position. The army of Cerealis, doubled in number by the arrival of the legions from Spain and Britain, proceeded to Vetera but the combat was delayed by the nature of the ground. The fields, always marshy, had been flooded by the art of Civilis, who had built a mole into the Rhine from the right bank, and so caused the river to overflow. Thus the Romans could not approach the camp, and when they attempted to fight in the deep marsh, the Batavians, skilful in swimming, had the advantage. On the following days, Cerealis drew out his line of battle. The cohorts and cavalry were placed in front, the legions in the centre, and a chosen band in the rear, in case of emergencies. Civilis arranged his forces in deep columns. The Cugerni and Batavians were on the right, the Transrenanes on the left, and nearer the river. The Germans began the battle by missiles, but could not provoke the Romans to enter the marsh. When the missiles were spent, they drew nearer, and with long lances pierced the front ranks of the soldiers who were slipping and tottering on the margin of the morass, and could not, with their shorter weapons, reach the assailants. Then a column of the Bructeri, who were stationed on the right bank of the river, swam across from the mole already mentioned, and fell upon the right wing of the Romans. The cohorts, 
seem to have had the worst of it all along the line, but the legions, when it came to their turn, stood their ground. The battle was decided by the interposition of a Batavian deserter, under whose guidance two squadrons of cavalry went round by the extremity of the marsh, where there were solid ground, and the Kugani were keeping careless watch, and attacked the enemy in the rear. The legions at the same time pressed on more vigorously in front, and the Germans fled to the river. The approach of night and the nature of the ground prevented a pursuit. After this defeat, Civilis could no longer hold his position on the Rhine. He made no attempt to defend the town of the Batavians, which is perhaps the modern Cleves, but retreated into the island. He destroyed the dam of the Rhine, begun by Drusus and finished in the reign of Nero, 55 AD, which was intended to divert the waters of the left arm of the river into the right or eastern channel. When it was broken down, the waters plunged into the left channel, called the Vahalis, and the right channel, or the Rhine proper, was rendered shallow. The result of this act of Sibyllus was that the island of the Batavians was made, as it were, part of Germany, a trans-renamed land, instead of being as before, a part of Gaul. The remnant of the Empire of the Gauls, Tutor, Classicus, and more than a hundred Treveran senators, also found refuge in the home of Sibyllus, which was now beyond the Rhine. Cerealis led his forces down the river and occupied various posts. The tenth was stationed at Arenacum, the village of Rindern, near Cleves, the second at Batavodurum, near Nimugen, while cohorts and ally of the auxiliaries were sent to Gwynes and Vada, places close to each other on the Vahalis. Cerealis himself probably made the town of the Batavians his headquarters. Sibyllus divided his forces into four parts, to attack these posts of the Romans. The assault on Varda he undertook himself. Grinus was assigned to Classicus, while Tutor and Verex, a nephew of Sibyllus, marched against Arunacum and Batavadurum. The assault on Arunacum resulted in the slaughter of the prefect of the camp and some officers and soldiers. At Batavadurum, where the Romans were building a bridge across the river, there was an indecisive skirmish. On the Vahalis the fighting was more serious. Julius Briganticus, another nephew of Civilis, but his bitter foe and a faithful adherent of the Romans, was slain, and the Germans, reinforced by Tutor and Verax, were winning the day, when the arrival of Cerealis with a band of cavalry decided the battle in favour of the Romans. The enemy were driven into the river. Civilis and Verax escaped by swimming, and Tutor and Classicus were rescued by boats. They would have been captured if the Roman fleet had come in time. The conduct of the campaign by Cerealis had been marked by great want of caution and great good luck. He did not mature his plans, and yet they generally succeeded. Fortune favoured him when he ought to have failed. But his carelessness about details of discipline proved almost fatal to him, a few days after the victory of Vada. New camps were being constructed at Novasium and Bonna, as winter was approaching, and Cerealis sailed up the Rhine to inspect them. An escort of foot accompanied him, marching along the banks, and, as he was returning, the trans-renamed Germans, Tancteri and Ructeri, doubtless, who were on the watch, observed that the soldiers did not keep together and were careless about their night encampments. Choosing a dark night, they entered the camp, cut the ropes of some of the tents, and massacred the soldiers who were unable to extricate themselves. They also dragged away the vessels, including the Praetorian ship, of the commander, which was towed up the Lupus, 
and presented as a gift to Beleda. The cause of this disaster was that the watch had fallen asleep, having been ordered not to sound the bucina or trumpet, lest they should disturb Cerealis, who was engaged in a love adventure somewhere in the neighbourhood. Civilis soon abandoned the defence of the Vahalis and retreated beyond the true Rhine into the country of the Frisians. The Romans then crossed the Vahalis and laid waste the Batavian island, sparing, however, the private possessions of Civilis in order to excite the suspicions of his countrymen, just as Archidamus had spared the property of Pericles in the Peloponnesian War and Hannibal that of Fabius Maximus. But the Batavians were ready to return to their allegiance the transrhenanes were ready to make peace and civilis seeing the inclinations of his followers resolved to save his own life by capitulation he sought an interview with cerealis a bridge across the river nabalis perhaps the isle or the vect was severed in the centre and the two leaders conversed from the broken extremities and made their terms no record remains as to the ultimate fate of civilis or of his gallic allies classicus and tutor the Batavians resumed the same position which they had held before. They paid no tribute, but were largely employed as auxiliaries. The submission of the trans-renamed Germans, who took part in the war, is shown by the fact that the prophetess Veleda was conveyed as a captive to Rome. We may take it for granted that Mucianus, who along with the emperor's son Domitian, footnote, this circumstance gave the poet Silius an opportunity of addressing the emperor Domitian as Yam pua oricomo preformidate batavo. Juvenal refers to the revolt of Civilis when he speaks of the domitique batavi custodes aquilas. Had come to Lugdunum in order to be near the scene of operations, had a decisive voice in making the final negotiations. The revolt of Civilis could never have taken place but for the strange position in which the Roman Empire was placed after the death of Nero. It was a direct consequence of the action of the Germanic legions, and is merely another act of the same drama to which the civil wars in Italy belonged. It exhibits the mistrust of officers and relaxation of discipline which generally prevailed. If the legions asserted at Betriacum their part in the empire, the auxiliary troops asserted themselves in the movement of Sibyllus. It was primarily a rebellion of the auxiliaries, but it involved in its train aggressions of the free Germans beyond the Rhine, and the attempt to set up a Gallic empire. Sibyllus has been called a successor of Arminius, and Arminius, like him, had been an officer in the Roman army but it must be remembered that the Cheruscans were only tributaries and did not like the batavians supply the army with recruits the batavian war was properly a revolt within the army itself though it accidentally assumed larger proportions civilis has also been called a successor of vindex but this is due to a misconception civilis indeed used the name of vespasian as vindex used the name of galba but the idea which according to all appearance, Vindex cherished of making a Gallic kingdom was renewed not by Civilis, but by Classicus, Tutor, and Sabinus. The Batavians and the Gauls had a common interest in their hostility to Rome, and so far they cooperated. But Civilis had nothing to do with the Imperium Galliarum. It is remarkable, however, that the states which took the leading part in establishing the Gallic kingdom at which Vindex had aimed were the Treveri and Ningones, 
the very people who had refused to join his enterprise and had sided with Virginius Rufus against him. On the other hand, the Sequani, who had supported the cause of the Aquitanians, declined to move when the same cause was represented by Treverans and Lingons. The events of the rebellion show clearly that the Gauls in general, apart from a few disaffected tribes, had come to see that their true interests were best served by remaining faithful to Rome. They saw that to win freedom by the help of Germans beyond the Rhine would only bring upon them a new Ariovistus. It should also be remarked that the part played by the free Germans was a small one. The revolt only affected those tribes which dwelled close to the Roman Lermes, and did not call forth any movement in central Germany. Moreover, the motive which attracted the Bructeri and the Tancteri to the Batavian standard was rather the hope of immediate plunder than the expectation of any lasting success against the Roman power. When the revolt was quelled, Vespasian adopted the wise policy of letting bygones be bygones. It was, of course, impossible to ignore the conduct of the Germanic legionaries, who had failed so signally in meeting the responsibility which had fallen to their share, who had taken the oath of allegiance to the Julius of Trier. The four legions of the lower province, first, fifth, fifteenth, and sixteenth, and one legion of the upper, fourth Macedonia, were broken up. The twenty-second, the legion of Vocula, was pardoned. But Vespasian had learned a lesson from the rebellion, and he made a very important change in the organization of the auxilia. The cohorts and ally no longer consisted of men of the same nation. Batavians and Treverans, for example, were scattered among all the auxiliary regiments indifferently. Moreover, the command of the auxiliaries was no longer entrusted to natives, like Arminius and Civilis, but to men of Italian origin. And these troops were not employed in the neighbourhood of their homes. The result was that a rebellion like that of Civilis did not occur again. End of chapter 20, section 2